coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. But what I found now, Brian, over-exercising in, is different from for everybody, right? Sure, sure. But it can basically be just you doing an hour of hardcore every day of the week, just about, or six days, five days a week, right? There's no area of basically rest uh, in those in those days. It's just these big, long workouts. So I've found for myself that if I, you know, basically work out, you know, two two times a week, pretty heavy on weights. And, you know, this is only for like 45 minutes to an hour and then maybe get in one cardio for like 45 minutes, 35 minutes, something like that, that really pushes my cardiopulmonary. That's it for me. Like I've, I've noticed, you know, all the other stressors that I do, you know, with, um, you know, the uh, cold plunge or, you know, sauna, right. The, that's enough. Right. And work, we always have to evaluate that, right. How much work sure. stress, how much everything, you know, family stress do we have? But that's what I find that works good for me is very minimal. Like that's basically what three workouts a week of 45 minutes or so, you know. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed functional diagnostic practitioner, Dustin McFarland. Dustin explains his health journey from going vegan to an omnivore and his experience as a natural bodybuilder, along with the importance of managing blood sugar, ways to improve gut health, problems with modern wheat, Dustin's daily routine, and his one tip to get your body back to what it once was. Really enjoyed my interview with Dustin. I know you will too. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. All right, welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin, and I'm Dustin McFarlane. On. Welcome to the show. Hey, I am so excited to be here, Brian. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Dustin. And we've gotten to know each other over the last, I'd say, month. Uh, he's been helping me out with my functional diagnostic nutrition uh, certification. So we've gotten to know each other, and we thought it'd be great to to have you on and, and learn about your story. Um, and speaking of that, I was reading a little bit about it and you've gotten into bodybuilding and things like that. So what sort of led you down the path of health and becoming a practitioner? You know, it definitely started, you know, pretty young, right? Just uh, having health issues myself. That was really the big thing. And uh, then after, you know, having health issues, you know, I ended up, well, even during having health issues, I did get into, you know, fitness and, uh, you know, like you had said, bodybuilding. But, uh, you know, I think it really started super young for me, you know, just, uh, you know, coming basically into this world C-section. So that was, that was kind of the, the first hit to the microbiome. Right. And then, um, and that was kind of forced, you know, my mom didn't choose that, but that was forced. And then, um, I did get breastfed well, so that was awesome. So that helped, you know, I think set me up a little bit, but then you know, the immune system was never right, right? It was like ear infection after ear infection, tonsillitis, you know, adenoids eventually removed, tonsils removed, you know, tubes in my ears, all these things. And then, you know, it led down that path of just uh, constant antibiotics, right? Just sick, sick, sick all the time. And so then the microbiome takes even that much more of a hit. Uh, so anyhow, that was kind of the the start of it. And, um, and then, you know, what was interesting is that I ended up basically learning, you know, that uh, we're the only species, right, that drinks dairy. And I had, I had basically had all of these episodes where I was debilitated on the toilet of not being able to even get out to school, 
I just couldn't get up. I mean, I was in so much cramping and so much pain. And I had learned that dairy was the only, or we're the only species that eats, you know, another species milk after we're weaned. Right. And so it was like, I'm going to try this thing. Well, I did. And I went dairy free. And you know what? That really, you know, propelled me into this health realm because when I started feeling so much better by eliminating one food, I kind of knew the power of diet um, even more than I ever had because, you know, when I was bodybuilding, yeah, diet's everything, right? But it did, it was more about like, you know, diet was, hey, eat more whey protein shakes and eat more eggs and eat more, you know, lean chicken breast. It wasn't about, you know, the, um, you know, uh, the quality, right? As much as, as, as I wanted to, uh, that's what it kind of, you know, propelled me of like, wow, if one food can do that, what can, what can happen if we really start to study nutrition? So that's really what got me into it. And, and I never could learn enough, you know, I mean, it was always, I wanted to take my health to the next level. And so here I am, right. Finally, you know, finding a, a system, you know, a functional diagnostic nutrition to bring every piece together, you know, just really, uh, you know, seeing every last, um, you know, bit of the body, basically we call that the big picture or the right, this 30,000 foot view. So that's kind of what brought me here. And talk a little bit about, um, I mean, you, you getting into bodybuilding, um, I was reading, did you become a vegetarian, a vegan and, and what was, what was sort of your experience with that? Yeah, that's, that's actually, um, quite the can of worms, right. You know, but, uh, so, you know, uh, during the bodybuilding, you know, big years, right. I was certainly eating, you know, animal protein and, that was fine. I mean, I was able to gain, you know, lots of muscle mass. And, you know, I was um, in 2001, I was second place, Mr. Idaho. So, you know, I was definitely put on, you know, a fair amount of muscle mass. And the uh, um, what ended up basically uh, moving me towards a vegan vegetarian was I had done a, a certification. Uh, you know, you may have seen in my credentials, right, the certified nutrition consultant also, that particular schooling that I had went to was really pro veganism and pro vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that at the time of signing up, but basically as I was studying their material, I was like, wow, you know, I mean, I really should do this. And you know what? Yeah, I really do want my health to go to the next level. You know, I mean, it, you know, we're always like more right. is better. Right. I right. mean, especially, um, you know, the years that I had personal training, uh, background, it was always like more is better, especially when it came to exercise too. But Anyhow, so I uh, tried that out and that absolutely destroyed me. I mean, in two years, I was completely wrecked. I had lost a lot of muscle mass. I had um, basically lost my mental, like in, in a lot of ways, you know, I was having way more difficulty time maintaining a, a good mood. I mean, it was so much easier to be depressed and be anxious and all of that. And, and, uh, you know, it took me a long time to recover from that. You know, I mean, the muscle, the muscle came back relatively quickly, I would say, or at least, at least most of it, the mood and the mental part of it, you know, all the lack of neurotransmitters and uh, amino acids through the liver and everything took quite a while to come back. You know, I, I was getting sick all the time, you know, amino acids are everything to our immune system and our ability to detoxificate. Uh, and guess what, you know, when you're a vegan, a vegetarian, you might be thinking you're getting those in. Cause I was taking in a lot of raw plant-based protein shakes, but you really aren't because those proteins are difficult to absorb. You know, they're just the lectins and the prolamins, right. Are just, um, hard to break down. Your body can't cleave those amino acids like it should. Um, so anyhow, yeah, that was an interesting time. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we talk about on this podcast a lot about like self-experimentation. And so like, that's quite the experiment. So you were two years on a vegan vegetarian diet and, and sort of saw that like decline in your health. And it's interesting because some people who maybe come from a standard American diet, you know, then they go into a vegetarian or a vegan diet and like their health gets better. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting. It also depends on where you're coming from. And some people like, you know, as you've probably talked about with FDN is some people can tolerate certain types of diets more than others. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I did feel, and I think that you brought up a good point there, Brian, is I did feel uh, better initially. So it was like, whoa, this is the right way to go. Mm. You know, but I think a lot of people feel that way initially because, you know, number one, I wasn't coming from the standard American diet, but if you do, you're going to definitely feel that impact. But I do think your body, you know, uses that time to maybe, you know, detoxify a little bit more, maybe, right, or something, you know, initially, but long term, it ends up becoming a problem. And here's one thought I had, right, is while I was doing it, I was like, you know what, uh, now I'm starting to feel bad. I'm not feeling very good anymore. Uh, so you know what, I guess it's just because I'm not taking in the most amazing superfoods. So I started ordering all of these excellent berries and you know nuts and seeds from different countries and all this weird stuff right the best high quality you know cacao bean or whatever it was and uh, then that wasn't even enough then right and it was like i'm still not right so guess what i ended up doing a raw food a vegan for like the last year of it and oh my goodness brian talk about pack myself full of oxalic acid like you've never seen I, I was in, I was in a mess and, you know, functional lab testing showed me that, that oxalic acid had absolutely, um, basically literally shredded my life, right? Those, um, those, uh, glass crystals are going to basically tear your brain, tear your gut up, tear your joints. And, um, you know, with those green drinks I was doing, cause I had to right? the raw food, right? All the nuts and seeds raw, you know, it was, it was a disaster for sure. Yeah. And, and went, and so obviously that lasted for a couple of years and then you sort of came out of that sort of rebuilding process. Uh, did you just start introducing, uh, animal proteins again? And, and, and how, what was that process like? I actually did, you know, to be quite honest, I got hired, um, as a nutrition health coach at a health food store and they, they, they just weren't, uh, into, you know, the vegan vegetarian. And so they were really glad to see that if I was going to take this position, that I was really leaning towards that paleo approach at that point. And so that was really what it was about is just, you know, actually eliminating a lot of these things that I had, you know, um, needed right on those, uh, the vegetarian vegan diet, which was like the beans and the grains, right. Those were a big part, um, in the paleo approach. And, and so I started gaining back health, you know, once I did, but man, it was a slow process. I would say Brian, that it took at least 10 years to recover really? from, yep from a two year experiment, uh, you know, just to finally mm -hmm. get, you know, mood back, a full muscle back, energy back, um, you know, immune system back. I mean, it was, there was so much loss that I, I experienced during that stint and it probably didn't help. Okay. Let me, let me, let me give this to, it probably didn't help the fact that I could, I was still over exercising. Right. Uh -huh. So I was, I was climbing thousands of vertical feet on my bike a year, getting thousands of hundreds, sorry, hundreds of thousands of vertical feet, getting thousands of miles ridden. Right. Mm. And then on top of that, still training like a bodybuilder. 
So, you know, on a vegan diet, right? So I'm sure <laughs> that that was, that was probably the reason why I wrecked myself so bad that another person may not experience at all, you know, um, in two years. So getting your health back now, what are the, some of the things that you've learned other than not doing veg vegetarian and vegan diets? What are some of the things that you've learned that you apply like to yourself and then with your clients? You know, probably the biggest thing, and this is something that I, I feel like is something that wasn't taught, of course, in my initial course, but also a lot of Americans don't understand is really understanding blood sugar and how much that's going to affect your life. I mean, you uh, you cannot have a healthy life without it. We now understand that um, the medical community is calling Alzheimer's type three diabetes, right? So that's, that just shows you how devastating it is. Like if your mind's going to go, you know, completely, but that's probably the biggest thing, Brian is making sure that like one of the, and, and this is what works for me. And I know a lot of my clients is that making sure the first thing that really touches your lips in the morning is some type of high quality protein, high quality fat. If you don't, right, you end up a lot of times, you know, getting into, you know, a blood sugar um, roller coaster throughout the rest of the day. I mean, you can basically, if, if coffee is going to be the first thing that hits your lips, there's a good chance that coffee spiked your cortisol, cor um, sorry, spiked your blood sugar. And then cortisol is typically followed by a spike in blood sugar, you know. And so, anyhow, you know, we can end up basically on this roller coaster throughout the rest of the day. But that's the main thing I've learned is like, hey, we've got to somehow figure out a way to make sure our blood sugar is spot on. And that's going to be through, you know, uh, you can do prick testing. You know, if you're into, you know, the Bluetooth signal, all that, you can do the CGM, you know, type of thing, right? Uh, all of that. But we've got to figure that out. We got to understand that. And, um, you know, whether you go clear into the whole, you know, I'm going to go ketosis for a while, right? Get into ketones or not. But it's, I would say that's the main thing, right? Is let's get our blood sugar balanced. And what what type of things, um, like I know with FDN, it's 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 you know we do a GI map and we get into gut health, and I know that you've already talked a little bit about that, but you know that can be sort of a a rabbit hole a little bit getting into gut health. But what type of things do you work on just to sort of improve gut health and help your clients with that? Yeah, you bet. I think that's a really good question because so many people have different opinions and different thoughts about, you know, how, what to do with gut health. Right. But, you know, like I was telling you with the dairy, that is really, I think, one of the key things that we need to understand is what are those foods that are causing major inflammation in our lives? And one of those that we could go on probably for the rest of the talk about, you know, right, is gluten and how problematic that is. But that also ties into another thing too, is that if you take in a lot of gluten, you are likely to spike your blood sugar way more than actual sugar because of the amyloa pectin in there. But so um, blood sugar, we know is also one of those things that doesn't help the gut heal and seal, right? Is if you have high blood sugar, you're going to typically have a more damaged gut. And so well, the, the first thing I would do definitely, Brian, and I do it with my clients also is to d uh, eliminate wheat, um, out of the diet, you know, this, um, traditional wheat that we have, or the standard American wheat has been hybridized dramatically, right? So our body doesn't quite know what to do with it any longer. But the other thing about it is that they are currently using on non-organic wheat and other grains, right? And other bean crops, they're using glyphosate, 
which is, you know, Roundup, right? The nastiest, you know, chemical to actually dry out the, you know, um, crops, right? To be a desiccant um, on this, on the crops. And so anyhow, if you spray the crops right after, or right as they're basically ready to be harvested, on you know um to dry them out right you've got now this uh, gluten that's going to make the gut more inflamed more sensitive but they they have proven over and over that you know the glyphosate is also um p- potentially worse right than than gluten as far as opening up that gut barrier and damaging the gut causing that more you know inflammatory state in the gut so if we can do that first ryan i think that that's kind of our big key uh yes we can add in all types of you know foods that are going to feed the microbiome. We definitely need that, right? We've got these high inulin foods. You know, one of the probably best out there, right, is sunchoke or also known as Jerusalem artichoke for um, for your uh, listeners. Uh, they do, it does have a nickname as fartichoke because it does create so much gas from, you know, the, mm. um, the microbiome living on it and loving on it, right? But anyhow, we can do that. Um, you know, I think probably a lot of your listeners, right, super educated have heard the whole like, five R's, four R's, whatever. But typically, regardless of how many R's you have of this whole, you know, remove and re-inoculate and restore and replenish and all this, it's always typically the remove, right? First and foremost, we got to remove those inflammatory foods and those inflammatory chemicals. And then, you know, like what you and I do, Brian, with the GI map is we're looking at removing those you know, pathogens, right. Or those bad, you know, bugs, those bad invaders or the overgrowth dysbiotic, dysbiotic bugs. So anyhow, uh, yeah, I would say that that's always the big goal first is let's remove. Yeah. You hear that like a lot of people sometimes go carnivore and they end up getting all this relief. And I think a lot of that's just the, the fact that they, it's like the ultimate elimination diet where they, they're getting rid of a lot of these gut stressors that have hampered them down through the years. Right. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, uh, you know, I think the other thing too is, is that uh, um, what I've seen is that some of the carnivore community at one time, right, has also tried, like I did, the vegan and vegetarian way. And uh, there's so many of those plant toxins, right, that I just talked about, whether it was lectins or whether it was oxalates, right, these things are also being removed. And therefore, you know, again, so, so gut, gut health, for sure. Yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, I don't know. You're you're not a full on carnivore, I'm assuming now, but I I, no. I think I think a healthy individual with a healthy gut can um, can should be able to tolerate different foods and not necessarily be carnivore for the rest of their lives. Um, and you're seeing this with a lot of like people in that space is they'll maybe start with with just meat and then they maybe start introducing other maybe less toxic foods. I mean, obviously fruit. Um, and uh, even just bringing back some vegetables, obviously cooked vegetables would be probably a little bit easier to tolerate than eating just raw vegetables and things like that. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, so much easier on the gut, um, you know, and the other thing too, is that, you know, a lot of times you can uh, reduce or, um, you know, change those plant toxins, right? So even like the cruciferous fe- uh, vegetable family, that I would stuff mounds and mounds of kale into a blender, mm-hmm. right? And, and blend it up, right? You have these, this goitergenic activity that's inhibiting your ability to absorb iodine, right? So like you were saying, if you cook things just like this cruciferous, you're going to be easier on your gut again, by kind of re- reducing or restructuring those plant toxins, just like some of the oxalates leave also, 
you know, in, um, you know, certain boiling uh, methods or whatever. Right. And how has, what is your eating schedule like? And, um, what I'm, I'm always curious, we talk about different routines on this podcast. I like to hear people's routines, maybe your, your morning and your, your evening routines and things like that. I know you're, you're a little bit into the biohacking side of things. So I'm curious to know, like what, what's your morning routine like in the typical day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, definitely uh, my one of my favorite things as far as like routine goes is to, you know, under understand, you know, number one, that I can't I can't typically go forever and ever and I'm getting better, but I can't go forever and ever fasting. Uh, I've certainly done my stents of, you know, intermittent fasting. I've done, you know, long fasts and so forth. But the um, uh, the blood sugar management, I also I understand, you know, quite well. And I just want to make sure that I don't ever get to that point. But with that morning routine, one of the things that I really like to do, Brian, is get into, you know, the cold plunge. I also like to get into the sauna and those things just feel better fasted. Right. So I ha- I do ha- I do like to do those things early in the morning when I'm fasted. But I understand that I don't push myself, um, you know, hours and hours and hours, whatever. Um, but after that, you know, I do always make sure, right, that that morning routine includes some type of a high, um, high protein meal, right? So anyhow, you know, and then same, um, same thing for lunch, I typically, you know, do some type of a high protein for lunch. And what I found is my sleep is much better. If I do carbohydrates for dinner, you know, a little bit heavier on the carbohydrates. But what was interesting is, is that if there was ever any sugar, involved in that it didn't matter if it was if it was fruit or i put a little bit of honey on something or whatever my sleep was not good at all so again i think back to this blood sugar thing and a lot of individuals do deal with you know uh brian this is what our clients you know deal with is these um blood sugar spikes and cortisol spikes throughout the night that don't keep or basically keep them um you know not sleeping as well or whatever and so that's kind of what i found for me is if i focus heavier protein lunch and breakfast and a little heavier on the carbs, you know, at dinner, then, you know, I just sleep better and have a much better, um, you know, blood sugar management, especially without the sugar. And you're, so when you're implementing carbs, you're, are you doing like vegetables and maybe some starches? You got it. Yep, absolutely. And one of the things that I ended up doing, um, a little bit as I was trying to rid myself of oxalic acid, uh, you know, of course, in the paleo world, we were always taught like, you know, sweet potatoes and yams are our, our lifesaver, right? For like carbohydrates from a natural source. Mm-hmm. And so if you can't do, you can't do fruit, but you do sweet potato. Well, the only downside, right? Was that that's uh, there, those are high in oxalic acid. So when I was trying to lower my levels of oxalic acid, yes, we have to address yeast in the gut. And, and those are some things, right? Um, mold in your environment or your body, of course. But the, when you're actually trying to eat low oxalate foods, like I was, you know, I ended up finding myself doing a little more white rice, white rice, and I didn't have, you know, the blood mm-hmm. sugar spikes from that, you know, but I was able to do some white rice in the evening and then also some vegetables. And that seemed to be good, you know, especially if it was covered in quite a bit of fat, right. You know, mix it in with some fat, but um, yeah. And, and, so yeah, it's, the oxalates are a challenge to get out. You know, they don't come out easy and when they do, they're painful, you know? So we, uh, we do want to be really careful with, um, just going overboard, especially if we have a tendency to have gut issues, which makes that a little, little bit more problematic. Yeah. I feel like, uh, those were on the rise once this whole superfood like <laughs> marketing campaign that continues, 
not, maybe not as much as it did maybe like 10 years, five, 10 years ago. I had Sally Norton on. I don't know if you know Sally Norton. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, she's the one that she's the one that helped me completely because um, nobody else. Uh, when you're looking at Google, nobody else gives you the right information. It's always this is this is low, and the next one says no, that's high. The same food, <laughs> right? And so she was the one. And uh, so th- this January, you know, her Toxic Superfoods book came out, right? Mm-hmm. And so anyhow, I I immediately got that and devoured it, you know, because it was such a good such a good read, you know, but, um, but good. That's awesome that you had her on your podcast. Yeah, she was great. I don't know. This was a few months, not too long ago, maybe a few months ago. And, uh, yeah, she's on this, you know, crusade of, you know, getting rid of oxalates from our, you know, our food. And, you know, I don't think you can totally eliminate it. And some people can tolerate it more than others. Um, some people are very sensitive to it. Uh, but yeah, uh, it was great having her on. And then recently you talk about blood sugar. I just had, um, uh, the, uh, one of the main, um, nutritionists and the senior nutrition manager over at NutriSense. So NutriSense is that is a CGM, uh, company and, uh, you know, the continuous glucose monitors. Um, and so we talked all about blood sugar and it's interesting, you know, certain foods, and this is the, this would be the pro of getting maybe a CGM just to see, maybe just use it for a month, even like a few weeks. I think each of them lasts like two weeks because I don't use one all the time, but using it initially, just understanding how your how these certain foods affect you, because for some foods might affect you, maybe, you know, rice doesn't affect you a certain way, but someone else it might, you know, totally spike it and put you way out of range. And, um, and we also talked about too, there's nothing wrong with having a spike in blood sugar, as long as it comes back to the norm. When you get an issue, when, when there's an issue is where it spikes and it doesn't really come back as much as it should back to the norm. And that's where there could be a real bit, you know, so the, almost like that chronic high insulin um, and high blood sugar is where we get into the issues. Yeah. And you'll only know that, Brian, if you test, right? That's, that's the only way that people will know what those foods do for you or do to you. And then also, if you ever know that you're coming back into the norm. So yeah, I typically, you know, have clients check right away in the morning and see what their fasting is. And we kind of keep a log of that. And then, you know, if they don't have the CGM and they're just doing a finger prick, you know, maybe one hour after the breakfast, right? And then two hours after, and we really do want it to normalize or come back pretty close to that fasting blood sugar, right? Because if not, you know, we end up having, you know, this chronically high, like you were saying, and totally devastating. I mean, when you, when you look at the diabetes scenario, right? When you look at that, um, with, with, as far as what they deal with physically, the vascular system, the neurological system, I mean, the everything just going out the window essentially, because blood sugar is just, um, you know, you can kind of almost think about it as a hammer, right? I mean, it's just hammering on everything consistently until it can no longer function quite well. Right. And so, yeah, uh, yeah pretty, pretty important to, to be focused on and, and get it, get it checked out and understood in your body. And then you talked about your morning, you talked about your afternoon and what you're eating in the evening. Do you have an, like, I just actually just did a small micro podcast on, uh, like night routines and sleep routines. What, what does yours look like? You know what? Um, we, we definitely are focused on the low lighting right? That is something that we're super particular about. We want to, you know, make sure that there's a couple hours of super low lighting. Um, you know, even when we watch TV, you know, we'll have it on as super dark, you know, where it's, 
sometimes hard. Uh, I also have blue blocker glasses. I've done some experimenting with them to see if maybe they were um, contributing to like headaches that I was dealing with there for a while. I, I don't think so. I think it probably had a little bit more to do with like histamines. Um, but, uh, but anyhow, and again, see here I am right still in, um, you know, my forties dealing with gut, gut mm. stuff, right. Histamines, right. Just always trying to figure it out. But anyhow, the, um, uh, you know, low lighting is a big key, you know, just making sure that you're not overstimulated. You know, I'm not doing my workouts in the nighttime, you know, trying to also get to bed. Um, it's really important that you get to bed before 10 PM. You know, I mean, those hours of recovery prior to midnight are, are dramatically huge. And so anyhow, um, now that of course it's getting darker earlier, it's super easy for me to be in bed, you know, sometime around early, early nine o'clock hour. Um, but just trying prior to that to, you know, finish dinner early. So you're not sitting there with a heavy stomach or some kind of extra, extra food and, you know, um, kind of the big title of your podcast, right. Is to, you know, get lean and, uh, you know, certainly having a big belly of food, right. A, a big, a large amounts of food as you go to bed is not one of those strategies to, to get you lean. So making sure supper's done early, turn down the lighting and, uh, you know, do calming activities, whether it's, you know, breathing meditation, or, you know, if you do watch a TV, just make sure it's not too overstimulating and it's as dark as you can get that screen or blue blocker glasses. Now you also mentioned, obviously you, you were got into bodybuilding, natural bodybuilding, uh, and you won, was it 2001? Was it 2001 second place, Mr. Idaho. Uh -huh. uh, and you, but you also talked about the fact that you, when you got into the vegan vegetarian, that you were over exercising. Um, and I think some people like, uh, are like, can you really over exercise? Maybe talk, touch a little bit about how you can sort of overstress the body and not allow for recovery and how that could be detrimental. Right. Yeah. You know what? Um, I actually see it in lab results quite often. Right. So, you know, when we see somebody's cortisol readings, we can definitely see that, you know, uh, many of them are in the exhaustive phase and therefore, you know, they've spent, you know, a good amount of time and it's not the only stressor, right? The, uh, exercise is far from the only stressor, but oftentimes you will, uh, even in my situation, you know, you'll find out that somebody has been exercising pretty extensively. We could actually come back, Brian, all the way to, you know, um, what we've heard about, you know, what we've heard about or studied about of our ancestors where, you know, it's kind of like this, um, slow methodical moving of hunting and gathering. Right. And then these, these once in a while sprints and these once in a while lifting of heavy things. Right. And so I think that, uh, you know, that makes a lot more sense because if you were doing right, what I was doing, which was, you know, five to six days a week of heavy lifting two hours, hour at the minimum, right. Hour, um, in the weight room. And then, you know, you go and you do some type of a cardiovascular of three to four hours of bike riding, you know, maybe on top of that. So you're right. having somewhere around, you know, uh, four, five, six hours of exercise a day. And that was easy to do as a personal trainer, because oftentimes the middle of the, my day wasn't as full of clients as it is morning and night when everybody wants to train. Right. So you could certainly do that. But, uh, but what I found now, Brian, over-exercising is different from ev for everybody, right? Sure, sure. But it can basically be just you doing an hour of hardcore every day of the week, just about, or six days, five days a week, right? There's no area of basically rest uh, in, those, in those days. It's just these big, long workouts. So I've found for myself that if I, you know, basically work out, you know, two 
two times a week, pretty heavy on weights. And, you know, this is only for like 45 minutes to an hour and then maybe get in one cardio for like 45 minutes, 35 minutes, something like that, that really pushes my cardiopulmonary. That's it for me. Like I've, I've noticed, you know, all the other stressors that I do, you know, with, um, you know, the, uh, cold plunge or, you know, sauna, right. The, that's enough. Right. And work, we always have to evaluate that, right. How much work sure. stress, how much everything, you know, family stress do we have? But that's what I find that works good for me is very minimal. Like that's basically what three workouts a week of 45 minutes or so, you know, that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously it took you some time to figure that out. And, and, and I would imagine that most bodybuilders will say that that's not the healthy way to do things, right? Competing and, 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 you know, cutting your weight to your like 4% body fat. That's, that's not obviously sustainable and and a healthy living, but you know, you're doing it for competition. And I'm sure, you know, like you, for you, you did it once or twice, or I don't know how many times you competed. And then you sort of, uh, I had, um, uh, Robert Sykes on the show uh, from Keto Savage. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's like a keto bodybuilder, um, mm. but he, he's got a good podcast and he's built up a, a big brand. But um, uh, as I'm, we're doing this podcast, I'm looking out and there's three deer running by, which is sort of cool. But anyways, <laughs> nice. uh, um, anyway, so but he, I, I, he's showing pictures of himself and the way he looks, and I'm like, wow. I'm like, you know, obviously this is taking a toll, but he's doing this for competition and that's obviously not the norm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I've, you talk about stressors. I mean, three days a week of a workout, I think is, would be probably an ideal for the normal individual out there. Right. I don't think people need to do much more than that. I mean, three to four at most, like that's about where I I lay for my workouts. And because obviously as you get older, Dustin, Dustin, how old are you? Uh, 47, 47. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, recovery is just as important as the actual workout, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I might've just added a year to my, maybe I'm 46. <laughs> that crazy how you knew yeah. it, you knew it when you were a kid, but you know, you're not you supposed to like, add a year when you get old as you right. get older. <laughs> Isn't that true? Yeah. I should have went, what should have went back. But, uh, um, but anyhow, you're exactly right. Wow. You know, when you get older, it's more difficult, right. To recover. And, uh, you know, even when I was cycling really heavily, I, a lot of my cycling friends were, you know, older and I'm, I'm talking like, you know, they were in their sixties, uh, and even early seventies and they were fit, right. And they were healthy and they were cycling, but they all talked about how, you know, like there's no chance that they can go do this day after day after day, like I was doing, you know, because, you know, they just don't have the recovery. They, right. they have the desire they want to, they want to be out there in the fresh air and sunshine and back on their bike. Right. But they, they just can't recover. So yeah, it definitely gets that way as we get older. What, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I also had uh Jay Feldman on who, who's um, talks about like, you know, these stressors, they all go in the same bucket, right? Whether you got cut off at the light while you were driving or you were did an intense workout, right? These are all contributing to this stress bucket that adds up. And I think people don't realize that and they, and they do have a tendency to overdo it. Like you said, you did, um, back in the day, what type of things do you do for a quality recovery, um, to sort of come back so you can be, you know, stronger and, and, and have, you know, great workouts. Yeah, I think that's a good question real quick on the stressor thing too. One of the things that we look at as, uh, FDNs, right. Is the internal stressors too. So regardless of who cut you off at the light or regardless of, you know, how big of a workout you had, 
right? It's also the, the fact that you're carrying around, you know, some form of a, you know, liver congestion or gut pathogens or, you know, blood sugar dysregulation or whatever, right? So those are also things that you don't even take in consideration that are stressing you going in the mm -hmm. same bucket, right? But, uh, you know, as far as recovery goes, one of my favorite things is, you know, doing, um, you know, rolling on a foam roller, roll, rolling on, you know, lacrosse balls. I've really found that to be probably one of the biggest recovery tools that I can use. Uh, stretching, of course, is great, you know, and I do, you know, a little bit of that and you know, try to get, you know, some yoga, you know, and poses and things in. But um, yeah, I would say that that's really helpful. The other thing is, is, uh, you know, I talked about cold plunge and sauna, right? Those are both going to be excellent because of certainly the, you know, the difference in, um, you know, vascularity as far as contraction and dilating, you know, blood vessels and those kind of things. But probably the biggest thing that we could all do, Brian, is get enough sleep and get to sleep on time, right? And then try to make sure that we're figuring out our blood sugar and so forth, uh, that we actually sleep well. And, and one of those internal stressors that can keep us up at night that we don't always know about, right, is gut dysbiosis. So whether you have parasites or whether you have, you know, um, whatever, uh, messing with your um, gut, you know, oftentimes they're active at night. And so they'll have you waking up or waking up or, you know, uh, the traditional Chinese medicine says one to 3 a.m. is liver time. So you've got this liver, you know, waking you up or whatever. So we've got to dial in our sleep really well. And sometimes if, if somebody's got that stuff dialed in, you know, a little bit more is like I've been working on, you know, my whole life. One of the things that helped me big time as you come to sleep is mouth taping. So if, huh. if you'll, if you'll get into mouth taping, I mean, it can make just a huge difference. And so that's something that's huge for our recovery, right? Is we want to definitely make sure that we're sleeping well. And that's, yeah, that's to promote, obviously breathing through your nose, you yeah. know, which is like, uh, uh, like you talk to a lot of people who are like gung ho about that, right? Like I remember I've got into it a little bit. I haven't done it as much lately. I try to breathe through my nose as much as possible. What, what, maybe I don't, you know, if you're doing that, what are some of the benefits to, to nasal breathing versus just, you know, people who just breathe through their mouths? Yeah. You know, I think that if your audience wants the best education on it, um, James Nestor wrote the book, breathe, mm -hmm. right? So that's a really great, re great resource. And he'll go into all of the, you know, big time science and those type of things from, from just a biohacking standpoint right? Is that basically when you are breathing through your mouth, you know, right, you are, you are not going to um, ultimately have, you know, the, the quality of sleep. It's kind of like those individuals that, you know, are, are dealing with sleep apnea, right? That if you're, if you're breathing through your mouth, you're just going to um, be kind of uh, oftentimes maybe gagging or, or, um, or, uh, you know, um, gasping, I guess would be another word, right? Gasping in the middle of the night when you don't even necessarily know it. And all those things are disruptive to your sleep. You're just kind of constantly doing these micro breaks in your sleep. So yeah. by keeping that mouth shut, you know, you're going to have more of this consistent um, sleep. And um, it's also a filter, right? I mean, breathing through your nose helps filter out, you know, dust and allergens, um, can boost your right. oxygen intake and things like that. And also, I've heard that, you know, sort of humidify the air that you breathe in, you know, when you're mouth breathing, you sort of, there's nothing there. <laughs> it could sort of dry out your mouth per se and uh, may, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in fact, one of the things that I really enjoyed about mouth breathing is not, 
I'm sorry about mouth taping is not waking up and having a dry sore throat, you know, right. That took a while to get to feeling better just because, you know, you've had your mouth gaping open or whatever. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's, it's, it's good. I mean, there, there are certainly, you know, uh, some individuals, right. That feel like they, um, you know, are going to be claustrophobic or whatever. It really isn't too bad. Like you, no. you have the control. So the minute you feel like you don't like this, I mean, it's like as quick as just rip that off of your face. It's not that big a deal. And I tried several different brands, Brian, of mouth tape or whatever. I've almost come back to as long as I maintain a shaved face, right? If I maintain a shaved face, then um, just regular old um, medical tape seems to work good. And it's inexpensive. But um, if I don't, you know, I have to do more of like the lip, um, the lip ones, like the Somni fix. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may have seen those. And some people may feel a little bit more comfortable with them because they have just a little bit of a slit at the front where, you know, you could, could take in a touch of air through your mouth if you wanted. But I, I don't know how much of us really do once your tip mouse taped is more about not opening it wide. Right. And, and getting that. But um, but there's lots of different brands you know, out there. And, and I, I encourage people to experiment like I did. Yeah, no, I forgot about that one. I actually have some, and I have some, I'll, I have to get back into it. <laughs> um, give it a try yeah. go. And, and maybe explain to um, the audience a little bit about, you know, what you do. And, you know, I know you're a practitioner through FDN um, and we've been working together a lot. Um, what are some of the main things that you focus on with clients? Yeah, you know, they they always talk about how you should really, you know, um, create a niche in what you're probably best at, right? And uh, so I found I find myself, you know, uh, at a place where, you know, gut and brain health have been my two biggest things that I've been focused on, right? So I definitely like to uh, help clients with getting their gut back to health and their brain back into, you know, all um, everything it's supposed to be, which is absolutely amazing, as we know. But uh but I'm not limited to that too, Brian. There's so much of looking at, you know, these foundational labs that I require, you know, clients to run that then I can see this big picture approach of what exactly is going on. And uh, so anyhow, you know, we're um, as a, you know, a, a functional diagnostic practitioner, not here to diagnose, right, or treat or cure. That's not the goal. Instead, I really want to help clients find why their why their function has been lost right we really want to know you know if they're troubling they're having troubles with that sleep that we talked about as far as really making sure that's dialed in well why why is that function lost right we should be naturally born and built to sleep well right um if they're having trouble digesting like i did or keeping a healthy mood why has that function been lost right so anyhow you know um it's all about you know people get, getting functional labs done so we can see the loss of function and then, you know, really looking at that big, you know, um, picture and, uh, you know, coming down to, you know, natural solutions to deal with that. Yeah, I love that. And um, your website is Serious About Wellness. Love that as well. SeriousAboutWellness.com. And yeah, I mean, uh, I've learned a ton through FDN and sort of identifying whatever stressors may be causing sort of this metabolic chaos. Um, whether it's hormones, immune, digestion, right, detoxification, uh, energy, or neurological function, um, and yeah, the, the 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 work that you're doing with clients is something that you really can't get anywhere else. Um, so, I highly recommend it, and uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a great learning experience for myself. Um, 
And um, so is that the best place for people to find you? Seriousaboutwellness.com? It really is. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Brian, that name came about, right? Because uh, you were saying that you kind of like that. It came about how I really, uh, you know, know that, you know, from my own health journey, right, that it really takes an individual just being serious about their their wellness, right? Yeah. And so that's really what I want to uh, portray to clients too, is that they, in order to really heal and get everything kind of dialed in back, you know, we've just got to be serious about every aspect. We can't, we can't, you know, do the uh, right eating, but then we're still out there over exercising, right? Or we can't stop that um, over exercising, but now we're not sleeping or whatever. It really requires us to do every bit of it. And so it does take us to take us to becoming very serious about it, not just, you know, kind of mm, whatever happens. I mean, I always say, if you don't have your health, what do you have? <laughs> right. I mean, right. I mean, it's our, 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 by far our biggest asset, right? I mean, if you truly had a whole bunch of money, right. And you don't have your health. I mean, wh what are you going to do with that money? I mean, you just can't even go out and enjoy it or do anything with it. So it is definitely our biggest asset. And, uh, I've known that from a very young age. I mean, this all started back, you know, like I said, very young, but uh, really got into studying at like age 10 or 12 when I started bodybuilding. And if you were going to give one tip, this is a question I asked most of my guests. If you're going to give one tip to an individual that was looking to get their body or their mind back to what it once was, maybe when they were in their 20s, uh, what one tip would you give that individual? You know, I, I seem to say this often, Brian, I would love to come up with a new, new one maybe, but, wow. uh, the, the, my, my favorite would be just, if nothing else, start out with doing cold showers, you know, mm -hmm. at least a couple times a week. And the reason why is when you had said getting your body and your mind back to, you know, when you're twenties, one of the things that, you know, that cold exposure is going to do is, 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 is going to oftentimes in individuals help us to seal the brain blood barrier. So oftentimes we can have, you know, this leaky gut that is in, went up basically and, and uh, created a leaky brain. We oftentimes know that and, and cold exposure actually helps that. But in addition to that, you know, we're going to move lymphatic, right? We're going to ultimately, it's going to be one of the more tools to help you maintain a lean uh, body, right? So, yeah, I mean, when we're talking about getting back to maybe our, what we felt like when our twenties, that would be one of my biggest steps is at least start there. You don't have to go down to the whole like cold plunge thing necessarily if you don't want to, but at least start getting yourself back into a couple uh, cold showers a week. Love that. Gets a little, you know, the thing about it is, is you can ease into it with showers and it gets you a little bit out of your comfort zone, which I think we can all use every once in a while. And um, yeah, uh, you definitely don't need any, any coffee after you do those. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And, and you can also, I mean, it's, you're in an environment, right. That you can warm yourself right back up. So like you said, it's such a, a great way to ease into it um, right away. Then if you were out, you know, cold plunging at a river or in a lake or something, right. You're just, right. you're not in an environment. You can warm yourself up back up very quickly. Whereas in the shower, you have that total control. So it's super easy to just get started and, and just see how you feel, you know, see if it works for you. Love it. All right, Dustin, I'm glad we uh, got this together. Seriousaboutwellness.com. And I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all the knowledge. Oh, you bet. Yeah, my pleasure, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. No, oh, my pleasure. Have a great day. All right, you do the same. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine. And I appreciate that. 
Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.